0: I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the sixth chapter of the New Testament book of Acts. And we are continuing in a sermon series. This is a verse-by-verse sermon series through Acts. And we are looking at the very first Christian church. And we're getting some examples from them. But we're seeing what it is that they went went through. In... Chapter 6, when we started last week, we saw that this church was experiencing some difficulties. There were some issues with the widows, with some Jewish widows, and and there's Jewish widows who are local to Jerusalem, and there were some Jewish widows that came from other parts of the world, and we call them Hellenistic widows. They They are Greek, they speak Greek, and so there was a racial issue going on within the church. And what we saw the apostles do, now mind you, there's 12 apostles, and we had spoken last week that there's possibly up to 30,000 people as part of this first church, if not 30,000, there's a lot of people. And so the apostles told the congregation, go and appoint seven men, and we want these seven men to do ministry so that we as apostles can continue our work in the Word of God and we can continue in prayer. And so they did, the congregation found seven people and they brought them together, and the apostles said, yeah, okay, these guys are good. These are seven great guys, they're gonna go to work. One of those guys, his name is Stephen. I'm wondering if you've ever been to a movie that you really enjoyed it's a great film. You get to the very end and you're like, wow, that was, that was, that was good. But either after the credits or, or right in that last final scene, the camera sways over and you see somebody, you see a character and you thought, wow, there's gonna be a sequel. There's gonna be another movie come next. You know what I'm talking about? You say, oh, they left us with, told us that something's coming next. We know that. This is something we're going to see happen. That character might not have been part of the main story, but that single shot of that character tells you things are going to continue. They're going to go a different direction. Now, let me set the stage on where we are in Acts chapter 6, verse number 8. And we're actually going to cover a lot of scripture today, but there's going to be a big chunk that I'm going to let you pick up at home yourself. So Stephen is one of those seven new members to the leadership at the church. Stephen is not, he is not from Jerusalem. He is a Jew, he's Jewish, but he came from out of town. He is a convert to follow Christ. Now, about, Two to three months before this particular event that we're looking at, there was a festival in Jerusalem. There's three festivals a year in Jerusalem. And Jews from all over the world, they would come to Jerusalem for these particular festivals. Stephen and a lot of other people came into this festival that's called Pentecost. Now, typically, at the end of a festival, people would go home. That didn't really happen this time. Not everyone went home because the Holy Spirit was introduced at Pentecost and the apostles started preaching and telling people about Jesus and so many Jews stayed in Jerusalem. Stephen is one of them and he stays and he starts teaching And we're going to dive into this, and I want to teach you a couple of other things that are really important to know. You're not going to find this in the Scripture, but this is what's underneath that we can see and and why we know that this is really important and why a lot of things in this Scripture today are important. We're going to go all the way back into the Old Testament. There was a time when the land of Judah was overtaken by the Babylonians and and the people of Judah were walked across the desert as slaves now to Babylon and they're going to live there now for 70 years in Babylon when they were in Judea the main city of is Jerusalem there was a temple this big beautiful building and that's where they went to worship at but when they were captive and they were taken to Babylon they don't have a temple anymore what they did is they started to create small churches in and around these different areas that they lived when they were in Babylon. These small churches are the first time that we see what's called a synagogue. Now, the idea of the synagogue is going to come back with those, uh, those people who were taken, it's going to come back when they're released 70 years later. 70 years, there's a new guy in charge, and he says, okay, the Israelites, you can go back to your land. The temple's destroyed. Some people came back to Jerusalem, but they said, we don't want to live here anymore. We're out. And they moved to different areas of the world, but what they would do is they would form a synagogue in that city. It's a smaller group of believers. It's not at the big, big temple. It's smaller for more like neighborhood churches if you lived in asia minor you would have a synagogue in asia minor if you lived in alexandria you would have a, a synagogue in alexandria ephesus berea philippi we see this all through the new testament when when paul would go to a new city he would always go first to the synagogue because he knew that that's where jews were at in these new cities so what you have here is you have Jews who are worshiping in their different cities. Now we're back in modern time, in you know, the time here in Acts. okay. All these cities have different synagogues. And if you were to travel to Jerusalem, well, it's going to be kind of difficult. If you're traveling from out of town to Jerusalem, it's going to be difficult for you to go to church, to go to the temple there, because you don't speak the language. People in Jerusalem, they would speak Aramaic if you were not in Jerusalem, if you were from Asia Minor, if you were from Antioch or Alexandria, you would speak Greek. So how are you going to go to church? This is what happened. In Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, not only do you have the temple, the amazing temple that people come to worship at, but you also have in this city other synagogues for foreigners, Jews that are coming in from different parts of town. So maybe your church from a different area has formed a small synagogue in Jerusalem, so it's there when you you come. And there's people who now have moved from other areas into Jerusalem, still don't speak uh, Aramaic, so they go to their own synagogue in the city of Jerusalem. Now, remember that we are only in this story, at this time in Acts chapter six, we are only a few months after the crucifixion of Jesus. That didn't happen too long ago. And there's been new people that are coming in to stay. And the apostles themselves and the local Jews themselves, they all worshipped at the temple. That's where they went to. And a lot of our actions so far in Acts has been at the temple in Jerusalem. This is an amazing campus. The temple to the Jews. In Jerusalem and throughout this part of the, of the world, this was a very honorable place to be. The temple itself was a place of reverence. It was a really, really important place. But again, remember, you have these smaller synagogues throughout Jerusalem for the people that came from out of town and that's really important as we set up what we're looking at today. I'm in Acts chapter 6, and we are starting in verse number 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great miracles and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of of Silica and Asia, who who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So here are Jewish leaders from other areas, but they have synagogues in Jerusalem that are standing up, and they're debating with Stephen. Mind you, Stephen just joined the Christian church. A little while ago and he's preaching about Jesus these other synagogue leaders are arguing with him because he became a follower of Jesus and they're going to stand up for what they believe I want you to watch this point number one in your notes this morning for those of you joining us for the first time you've got on the back of your bulletin some fill in the blanks and those blanks are going to be up here on the screen and I'll give you those point number one in your notes this morning is this those who oppose the truth of Jesus cannot defend their resistance to the truth of Jesus. There are many people who oppose the truth, but you cannot, you cannot defend your resistance. Some of these Jewish leaders from these other synagogues started to give Stephen a very hard time because he was preaching about Jesus. They didn't like that. Of course, these men from these other synagogues, undoubtedly, they knew the Jewish scriptures. Their leaders in their churches. The Jewish scriptures to us would be our Old Testament. They knew this. Stephen knew this. And Stephen also knows their history. And they try to argue with him. They try to start arguing arguing with Stephen. Stephen keeps bringing the conversation back to Jesus. Keeps bringing it back to the Messiah. They keep arguing. And in verse number 10, it says that that he spoke not only with wisdom, but he spoke with the Spirit. Let me tell you something about speaking with the Holy Spirit. When the, the Holy Spirit... Is speaking nobody can overcome his challenges. Nobody can overcome. When you and I, when you and I start talking, we are, we are weak. We are fallible. Sometimes, I'm gonna tell you a secret. Sometimes we are wrong. Have you? Okay, maybe nobody else. Sometimes I am wrong. Maybe nobody else fits that. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, He speaks with strength. He speaks with infallibility. There are no errors. There is not a chance that He is wrong. The Holy Spirit is always speaking truth. Always speaking truth. That's what the Holy Spirit is speaking now through through Stephen. I wonder... I wonder if you have ever spoken the truth of Jesus Christ, the the, the salvation that comes with a life in Christ. I wonder if you have ever spoken that to somebody and they didn't believe you. If you haven't, you will. That will happen. Here Stephen is speaking the truth about Jesus, and mind you, he's technically only being a Christian for a couple of months, and he's already full of wisdom and full of the the Spirit. I want you to see what a couple of months of being a Christian does to a person. So Stephen knew the history of the Jews, but he's only been around the apostles. He's only been learning for a couple of months. Even a couple of months in the presence of Jesus can change lives. Even a moment, even a moment in the presence of Jesus can change lives. Stephen did not have 30 years of Christian education under his belt. He didn't. Two or three months. Can God use somebody with two or three months Who's been, who's been just in his word, who loves Christ? Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder if you've ever been in an argument with somebody. If you've ever been in an argument with somebody and you keep bringing fact, 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 and there is no way that they can, that they can oppose your argument or your facts, and your side of the argument. You know what sometimes will happen here? Somebody you're arguing with, they will go off the rails, they will go in a totally different direction. You ever find yourself in an argument and you are way down there, you started here but you're way over there for some reason? Like what happened? How, how, how did we get over here? What? I, don't, I don't get it. See, people will take those conversations way off point But here's the thing, truth, the truth about Jesus is truth. It does not change. But there are people, and you know somebody, who will not accept the truth. It doesn't make it any less truth. It's the truth. You can't change that. But some are just not going to accept it. Here's something else that we see that happens in these type of arguments. And maybe you've been through this before. If somebody is if somebody is outwitted maybe somebody is overmatched in their argument maybe they'll start trying a different tactic sometimes sometimes when they can't argue with you because you've got truth on your side maybe they'll start calling you names right they'll make it personal maybe they will start putting you down maybe they'll 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 take continue their conversation, but they will change the way that they are attacking. If you've never seen that happen either, you will. Because you can't stand up to the truth and win an argument when the truth is Jesus. Now, these Jewish leaders, they are so upset now that Stephen has been arguing with them And Stephen's got truth, they don't have any response. These religious leaders though, they are not above playing dirty. People in arguments sometimes go there, right? Sometimes we think that there are honorable rules in arguments. We think there's an honorable way to stay on course. Not always, not always is it honorable in the way that we manage our disagreements. But this now is an example we're going to see of how even religious leaders can take the low road. Come back with me, we're in Acts chapter six, I'm in verse number 11. I want you to see exactly what they do. These are church leaders, remember, verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. We've heard about the Sanhedrin before. They're this group of about 70, 71 men. And they, were, they are elders of the church here in the, in the area of Jerusalem. So these leaders that are going to accuse Stephen, they... They need something to accuse Stephen of. And so, they say, you know what? I know a guy. I think we all know a guy, right? We might know a guy who can fix the car. We might know a guy who can fix the air conditioner, kind of under the table, right? People know people. Everyone knows a guy. These religious leaders also know a guy. And, let's face it, some of us know somebody a guy who might be willing to do some things that are illegal for a little bit of money Maybe we don't know that person and that's great, too, but a guy Let me tell you something about religious leaders and, and past pastors We all pretty much know a guy We pray with a lot of people these leaders here They spend a lot of time with a lot of people, and once you get to know a lot of people, you know who's in your city, who you can go to. They know a guy. And they persuade some men to make up a story, to come up with lies about Stephen. And they say, hey, you know what, accuse him of blasphemy, and now we're gonna take him to the Sanhedrin to another court, and we just need you To stick to this story. See, they know a guy. There was a time when Jesus and his disciples were outside of the temple. And they were admiring, the disciples were admiring the temple and the beauty and the architecture of this building. And at this moment, Jesus took a moment to teach them a lesson about the temple. As majestic as it was, watch this. I'm in Luke chapter 21. I want you to see what Jesus said about the temple. He says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. I'm going to move to verse number 12. But before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you all over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words of wisdom that that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Isn't that amazing words from Jesus? Isn't that amazing words? Him saying, this building that man built, this beautiful building that people worship in, that really is nothing. That's not going to last. That is going to fall soon. This whole idea of finding false witnesses, bringing people to lie. This isn't the first time that this has happened. These elders accusing Stephen and going to find the guy, a guy, a couple of guys. I don't know if they show up in a white van with trench coats or not, but those are the kind of guys that we're talking about. Okay, This has happened before. It actually happened to Jesus. The night that Jesus was arrested Follow me to Matthew 26. I'm in verse number 57. Matthew writes this, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to uh, to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders were assembled. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were, watch this, looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any though many false witnesses came forward. So it seems to be, seems to be that these religious leaders in Jerusalem, can we say these guys are dirty? Yeah, you know, they are going to find somebody, false witness, they're going to find somebody to lie. Jesus was accused of blasphemy. Stephen is Accused of blasphemy. Let's look at blasphemy. It's it's really it's a simple act of insulting God or a lack of giving reverence to God That's blasphemy insulting God now is that something that has a provable consequence anyone can say you insulted God right It's not as if, it's not murder, like you killed somebody and we can see evidence here. People could say, oh, blasphemer, you know, this this guy spoke against God. You can get false witnesses to say that. If we go all the way back in the Bible, into the Old Testament, blasphemy was so important even to God that God gave Moses instructions when it comes to, to blasphemy, because it's speaking against God. I'm in Leviticus right now, chapter 24, verse number 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All of those who hurt him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire sem- assembly is to stone him. Yeah. So blasphemy, speaking against God, or insulting God, or insulting and not bringing reverence to the temple, death penalty. No joke, death penalty. There's still some countries in our world where that is the truth. And here in Jerusalem, though, and and in this Roman area, you don't sit on death row for 15 years, 20 years, Uh uh-uh. No, Your, your sentence is almost immediate. If you are accused and found guilty of blasphemy, you are about to draw your very last breath. That's it. So here's Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin, this group of religious leaders, and liars have just stepped up to accuse him of blasphemy. Well, I want you to see what the high priest says. Because the high priest is going to run this court. Acts chapter 7, verse number 1. Really simple. And then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? Wow. We saw that when Jesus was in front of them, right? We saw that. Here's point number 2 in your notes. There is no limit to the distance the enemy will go to try and silence the gospel. There is no limit Distance too far. There is no limit to how far the enemy, Satan, will go to try and silence the gospel. Let's not be surprised when persecution for our faith comes to our shores. We see persecution for our faith in other nations, in other, in other continents, Asia, Africa, really having a hard time right now. There's other places in uh, northern Eastern Europe that we're finding that. But it is something that, that continues to, to sneak into our nation, and it is going to happen. Persecution will come. Don't be surprised when it comes. If you have never been looked down upon because of your faith in Jesus, get ready, because it will happen. I'm not saying that that you're going to be thrown in a pit and stoned, but it will happen. The one thing that, this is one thing that I love about the Bible, is that it has a solution. Jesus has solutions to our problems before we even know that we have the problem. This is really cool, it's the last of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, I'm in verse number 10. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Jesus already has, already has an answer for you being looked down upon because of your faith. He says... Blessed be. He doesn't say, I'm going to send angels to protect you. I'm going to give you a force field so rocks are going to bounce off. No. He just simply says, blessed are you when people insult you because of me. Being persecuted because of righteousness, because of Jesus, that is part of of being a Christian. It's just like eggs are a part of a cake. It comes with the title. Christian persecution. It's going to happen on some level. Here, Stephen now, remember he was just asked a question a minute ago from the high priest. He's going to get an opportunity to step up and answer that question. I want you to see what he says. I'm in Acts chapter 7, verse number 2. It'll be up on the screen behind me. To this, he, Stephen, replied, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. All of these people who are gathered here, that means that it's not just the Sanhedrin, which is all men, that there's other people who have joined this congregation. He gets everyone's attention, and he's going to bring his argument, and he's going to bring wisdom, and he's going to bring truth, the truth of Jesus front and center, in his argument. Now, I'm going to skip, I don't like skipping a lot of scripture, but we're going to skip about 49 verses, and I'm gonna ask you to read this at home. Because Stephen, what he's going to do, he is actually, he's in front of all these people and he's going to start preaching. And he's going to go deep into Israel's history, which they all know because they're Jewish. They know Israel's history. He's going to go all the way back to Moses. He's going to go back to Abraham in his argument. He's going to say, this is what happened and this is how it leads to Jesus. This is what Moses did and this is how it leads to Jesus. This, this, this is all in your history and this is how it leads to Jesus. He starts preaching to all of these people. It's the only sermon that we have recorded from Stephen in the Bible at all. He's only been a follower of Jesus for a couple of months, and he knows his Jewish history. He's going to use that in his argument to tell people, this is why. This is why this is happening. It's as if Stephen is actually preaching forcefully To everyone who is congregated around him. But there's one thing that he realizes. He realizes that he is standing in front of a group of men who can order his death right then. All these guys have to do is this they have to look over at that guy. It's like like that, um, uh, who, who is it? That guy in the in the police suit that's next to Judge Judy. You know who uh, who I'm talking about? Yeah, all he has to do is look over and nod, you know, and take him away. He knows that he is up now against liars who are lying about what he's been doing. He hasn't been blasphemous, but they're bringing that. What Stephen chooses to do with his 15 minutes of fame, this is his moment in front of the crowd, a crowd that wants to kill him, what he decides to do is preach about Jesus. He decides to bring a message. He decides to tell people why, who. This is the salvation that comes with knowing Jesus. He decides to tell them Something that they don't want to hear, but something that they need to hear. Do we know people in our life like that? That we have something to tell them that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. We know people, right? Here was Stephen in front of a huge crowd. I wonder if with our last breath, It might be in a hospital bed. It might be in front of a crowd of people that want to stone you. Are we saying things like, you know, tell my family that I love them? Or, hey, here's the secret password to the bank account. Are we telling people where the bodies are? Or are we preaching? Stephen knew, I might not have another opportunity. I'm going to preach to these guys, to all these people. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And then he gets to the end of his sermon. I think this is kind of what ticks him off a little bit more. I'm in Acts chapter 7. I'm in verse number 51. Now imagine, imagine that guy that you're accusing. Everything is quiet. He's talking. This is what he says. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people. (laughs) It's not a great way to start your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They, they even killed those who predicted of the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed him and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, or, or you have received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. Stephen didn't pull any punches. He didn't hold anything back. Point number three in your notes is this. The truth is like poison to the ears of those who purposefully distance themselves from Jesus. It's like a poison. There's so many people in our world who have heard the truth, They know the truth, but they purposefully and willfully refuse the truth. They purposefully and willfully refuse Jesus. Some of you have family members in this position right now. You're thinking about them. You know who that is. You've told them. And you know what they'll say? They'll say, oh yeah, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't need that. I'm a good person. How do you know what a good person is if you don't realize that God set rules and that's what everything, everything is balanced off of is, this, is the standard that God created? How do you know what good is? Well, if you're saying you're a good person, I promise you that, that you have some sort of a belief. You, 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 there's a, a, a starting point. But a good person and calling yourself a good person, that's not solid truth. But for people who want nothing to do with Jesus truth is like poison poison in a heart it breaks down selfishness The poison of the gospel, if we're going to look at it that way, it breaks down selfishness, it breaks down pride, it breaks down anger, it breaks down hate, it breaks down that wall that is keeping Jesus out. That's what the gospel does. The gospel breaks down self. Because it's poison to self. In order for somebody to stand up and say, I don't follow Jesus, I don't, I don't believe any of it, they have to purposefully and willfully force themselves away from God. And that's hard to do when God is everywhere when everything you see in nature, when the sun rises at the hand of God, when it sets at the hand of God, when everything you see, when everything you feel comes from God Almighty, it is hard to separate yourself from God. The poison of the truth, the poison of the gospel to a hard heart, it is... The saving grace of Jesus Christ. There's no falsehood in that truth. There's no falsehood in the gospel. But it still doesn't keep people from from trying so hard to get away from the truth. Trying so hard to get away from God. Trying so hard to get away from Jesus. People will do dumb things to get away from the truth. Amen? You know somebody... You know, we know people who have tried, and maybe we've done it in the past. People will do some really dumb things to get as far away from the truth as possible in order to hold on to pride, in order to keep from surrendering themselves to Jesus. They'll be willing to lie. They'll be willing to lie to themselves, lie to others, lie about others. People are willing to kill to stop from hearing the truth. Come back with me finally. I'm in chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse number uh, 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, watch this, this is so important. At this, they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. Fourth and final point in your notes this morning is this Man will go to extreme lengths to hide their shame, even as far as killing the messenger. Man will go to very extreme lengths to hide their shame. Did you notice in verse number 57, did you notice this? They covered their ears and they started yelling. You know what that is? That's to drown out truth. To drown out truth. I wonder if we have ever done that. These guys are yelling so loud and they're covering their ears so they don't have to listen to the truth anymore. But I do wonder if we've ever done that if we've ever covered our ears, or maybe we've stayed home from church, or we've stayed home from an event that's going to bring us closer to Christ, because right now, I just don't, don't wanna hear it right now. And so I yell loud, I cover my eyes, I cover my ears because I don't want to hear the truth, because it, it hurts. It happens that moment when we are doing something that we know that we shouldn't be doing and we're, we're feeling guilty about it and, and we just want to hide our shame. We want to get away. We're hoping, if, 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 I, if I turn my Bible over, Jesus won't see me. If I put the newspaper over my Bible, Jesus won't see me. See, our culture will cover their eyes and will start yelling so, loud so they don't have to listen to the truth. They'll cover their eyes. They will, they will purposefully go into the public square. It might, be, it might be YouTube. It might be Twitter. It might be wherever people are talking about Jesus. They will go wherever they can to fight and to argue that truth anything that they could do to cover their eyes, to close their ears, to yell so that they can't hear it and others can't hear it either. They don't want me here today preaching about sin. They want me here preaching about prosperity, preaching about health and wealth. They don't want to hear about sin. They want to make noise so they don't have to listen. Our culture will go even further than that. I'm going to finish this out in verse Chapter 7, verse number 58. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's a very easy way of saying that they killed him. They took rocks. Threw enough rocks at him that they, they killed him. Stephen became the first martyr, somebody who dies for their faith, the first Christian martyr for Jesus. But he's not the last. We're going to continue moving through Acts, and you're going to see this happen time and time and time and time again. It is who on to their pride, who hold on to their, their selfishness, who refuse to surrender themselves to Jesus. It's When that spiritual disability takes over, that spiritual disability of self-first, people will get as far away from God as they can. And not only will they live far away from God, In this life, eventually, without a heart change, they will live far away from God for eternity. And that yelling and that gnashing of teeth that comes later, that's not just yelling and covering your ears. That is yells and cries. And that is a lake of fire. And that is gnashing of teeth. Because of a choice to be distant from God. Stephen may have died proclaiming the word of God, but the last thing he saw was the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's going to be more in Acts. We're going to see this. But this last scene in Acts chapter 7, we see this crowd. They're angry, Maybe they're in a circle around this Jewish man that they literally just threw rocks at him until he died. And you can somewhat hear the celebration of these men. Maybe they're giving each other high fives. Maybe, maybe they're maybe a big chest bump, like, hey, we got him. We took care of him. Maybe they're giving each other congratulations that they've just killed Stephen. And, and you see they just start walking the dusty roads going back to their home elsewhere in Jerusalem and we see the credits start to roll but before everyone leaves the camera turns and focuses on one man in acts chapter 8 verse number 1 says this and Saul approved of them killing him the story moves on the story continues there's a sequel stephen has been killed. But there's a character that's going to take this story forward. And I'll just give you a spoiler alert. This is not one of those movies that has an amazing superhero. No, this is one of those anti-hero movies. This is one that has a very strong villain. And he was standing right there watching this, and he approved of this. There are people who we know in our world who are going to do anything they can to stay as far away from Jesus as they can. We still have a job. We still have a job to preach to them, to teach them, to tell them, to love them, to pray for them. That's our job. And it might be going to somebody else and doing the same thing. That persecution's there. We know it's there. Jesus prepared us for it. He said, blessed are you when you take heat in my name. You will. Don't stop. You have to. Please do. That's how we spread the gospel. That's how we spread the gospel. We tell people, we have to tell people sometimes things that they don't want to hear. Every heart has to make a decision. It's not up to us to make a decision for somebody else. It's up to us to tell somebody else. It's up to us to spread the gospel. In Acts 1-8, they were told, the apostles were told to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, Samaria, Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Here, we're in Jerusalem. That's what's happening right now. You want to see Samaria in the ends of the earth, be with us in the next few weeks. But that's our job. Persecution's there. But we don't stop because of it. Will you pray with me?